Thank you for listening to Women in Sports. This show is all about advancing the narrative for women in the sports industry. I'm one of the hosts, Erin Sinnott. And I'm Ashton Pills. This is a Rising Coaches-sponsored show that gives women in the sports industry the opportunity to tell their stories and talk about their experiences. Glad to have you listening along. Stay tuned. Women in Sports is brought to you by Rising Coaches. Rising Coaches is the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. We have over 1,200 members of coaches who, from the high school all the way up to the professional level. Uh, and there's three things that we focus on. Community, relationships, and development. There's no straight line in this business. There's only ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And when you're going through them, it is crucial that you have a support system and a community who has been through the fires themselves that you can lean on and help you through those tough times. Genuine relationships. We put the premium on genuine, uh, not just exchanging phone numbers and speaking one time a year at the Final Four, uh, but rather creating relationships that will last a lifetime and help you both personally and professionally. And finally, and most importantly, development. We are constantly providing resources to our members so that they can work on their craft and add tools to their toolbox. The premise is this. If you sign up and become a member for Rising Coaches for just $120 a year, the relationships and the network will take care of themselves organically so that you can focus on working on your craft and better serving the people that you come in contact every single day as a coach. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com and sign up for a membership today. I'm not folding, I'll upset you Cause I'm just too dangerous, I'm dangerous Let's be honest, say no contest Take those comments for my Go. I just get so dangerous, so dangerous Yeah, two equal sides, don't equal ties Yo, I came Hello, everyone. Welcome to Women in Sports. We're super excited to have you with us here tonight. I'm one of the hosts, Erin. And I'm Ashton. Like Erin said, really excited. We have um, three incredible guests um, that we're going to introduce. So Erin, if you want to kick it off. Yes, we have Ariel Breaker, who is the assistant coach at Oakland University. We have Tiffany Coppage from the, she's the assistant coach at the University of Alabama. We have Brittany Azell, who is the head coach at East Tennessee State University. So we're super, super excited to have you guys here. Um, yeah, like, like um, Ashton said, just we, this, we've grown so much and this platform is just awesome. And we're just so glad to be able to give you guys an opportunity to talk about your stories and where you've been and what you've learned and where you're going. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah thank you. Appreciate it. Of course, we like to start off the night by asking each of you to share, um, you know, as you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Kind of a morning routine in essence, if you want to share that with us. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Uh, the first thing I do in the morning, truthfully, is I uh, smile and kind of laugh a little bit and uh, it just kind of gets my day going the right way. 
Um, I was always told that your day is going to go the way of the corners of your mouth. So I try to make sure that mine's, mine are pointing upward and uh, just kind of chuckle because who knows what we're about to encounter uh, at the collegiate level coaching women's basketball. So uh, I try to have a little bit of pep in my step to get my day started. Um, I'll jump right in. Uh, so my uh, the start of my day is usually reserved for family, to be honest. When I wake up, um, one of the first things I do is I either call my mom, my dad, um, somebody. I, I, most of my career has been spent um, with me living away from my family. And as you know, as soon as you hit the doors, usually the car phone starts ringing, you got to-do lists and text messages and everything. And so before it gets too crazy, I try to carve out a little bit of time so that I can start my day off with them. So uh, that's usually how I start my day. Uh, usually my day starts off with um, being woken up with puppy kisses from my adorable dog, Flounder. She is the cutest thing ever. And then we go on like, it's like a nice 20 minute walk just to wake myself up because I'm very much not a morning person. <laughs> that's awesome I can um, attest Ariel does have a very cute dog <laughs> and she's so funny um but so I just kind of want to start our first um question with um you guys all had um you all played um at the collegiate level and had some pretty successful careers um and now you're in the coaching industry obviously and still killing it um just kind of if you guys could speak to that like how um, you all played for and worked for some amazing coaches in programs. Um, have you really like taken notes and, and kind of compiled a bunch of tips and tricks from that, that you now, um, are using today and have kind of shaped you into, um, the roles that you're in, um, coach, coach Brittany, if you kind of want to start on that one. Oh, sure. Um, so I was a two sport athlete at the university of Alabama, uh, roll tide there, Tiffany. I knew you would enjoy that. Uh, I was really fortunate. I played basketball and softball at Alabama, uh, played for Coach Rick Moody and Coach Patrick Murphy, uh, who's still there on the softball side. So uh, make sure you tell Murph I said hello. Um, had, had a really great experience and I had some remarkable teammates that made me look like a better player than I truly was. Uh, I'm still waiting on residual checks from some of those that played in the WNBA because they owe me commission. But uh, other than that, uh, I did get a chance to go on to the University of Nebraska uh, as a GA after my playing days. And I worked for Paul Sandiford, Jeff Walls, and Michelle Clark Hurd. Um, so if you're talking about really keeping a notebook full of, of coaching tips and drills and things to do, I, I've probably got a plethora of them laying around my house. But um, there really are no secrets in basketball. It's just a bunch of different ways to get the same job done and, and how you go about it is what's really key. So, yeah, like you said, I played for a remarkable human being and coach and, and Rick Moody and, and his staff uh, really helped shape me and, and, and shape my career. I, I owe a lot to he and, and the entire staff at Nebraska as well. Awesome. Um, so my, my career was a little bit different. Um, I started off uh, with going to junior college at Fort Scott Community College um, and then went on to finish two years at Missouri State. And so, um, like she said, I, I had some pretty um, awesome people that kind of helped uh, pull me along, shape me, teach me. Um, tell me all the things about myself that I didn't know um, and would later discover were actually facts um, <laughs> that I fought for a long time, including becoming a coach. Um, and then um, was really blessed. I, I did my grad assistantship at um, Wichita State and uh, was 
like I said, it, it doesn't happen a lot, but fortunate that after a year I had a, a job offer to become an assistant coach at the division one level. And from there, um, that's kind of just, you know, piled onto one another. And so um, I've had a lot of great people that I've worked alongside of that I've worked for. Um, and it wasn't until maybe a midway through my career that I learned that it's really good to keep everything. Um, the first couple of years, I can't say that I was as diligent at saving things um, or even trying to store it for later, but I, I learned um, pretty quickly that it, it comes in handy. And so um, definitely, like she said, just trying to uh, keep track of everything because at some point you're going to use it again, tweak it, modify it, something like that. And then obviously from my playing career, um, just using that as, as a reference for when I'm dealing with our players and being able to pull from that and remember what's realistic and what's not and, and being able to relate and kind of um, help me navigate as a coach with them. So. Yeah. And then uh, for me, I played four years at Notre Dame. Um, I played under coach McGraw. And Neil Ivy, who's now the head coach there now, Carol Owens, and then Jonathan Jonathan Sip was there my first two years. And then Beth Morgan Cunningham came the last two years. Sorry, it's throwing me off with all these people joining. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So uh again with same with Tiffany. I after I graduated, I was like, oh geez, I will never pick up a basketball. I will not be around the sport. I am out of here. Like I'm going into the real world. And then I kind of looked out what was in the real world. And it wasn't, it was probably a few months and I was like, I don't like it. So my mom um, actually found a grad assistantship for me in Wayne, at Wayne State University in Detroit. It's a D2. So I worked there for a year under Carrie Lore. And then I worked in high school for a year back at uh, Gross Point North where I played. Um, didn't want to deal with high schoolers. So then I got a call to go down to Western Texas College at JUCO. Um, drove 24 hours when I got there. Uh, Jeff Tungate, actually, the guy I work for now, called me and was like, hey, I have a position open. Would you be interested? I just packed up my life, drove 24 hours, and I was like, you know, I'm going to try this out, see how it works out for me. Um, and so it was good. I had a great year. And then Coach McGraw called me after I finished up my last year. She usually likes to check in each year, um, ask me if I'm happy, do I like where I'm at, uh, what did I learn? You know, what were my downfalls? So she uh, actually received a phone call from Sue Troyan from Lehigh University. And, you know, she needed someone uh, to fill in for her. One of her assistants had just left. So I got that job and I was there for two years. And then a year ago, I got the job, a call again from Oakland. Um, I think it was a sign. I'm from Michigan. It's 45 minutes from where my family lives. I'm the oldest of five, it was really important for me to be back home. Um, and so I took this job last year and really loved it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, I feel like that's like the, the coaching industry in a nutshell of all the moving and um, the different things and, and keeping things that people give you, um, like old, like scouting reports, everything. Um, that's super, super awesome. But um, you guys also just kind of um, that transition from player to, you know, the real world or coaching, um, coach Tiffany kind of talked about, like, you didn't want to admit that, uh, you were going to end up being a coach and, and stuff like that. But what kind of like, what lessons did you learn, um, during your playing careers that you now are able to really teach your athletes or what are things that you wish you would have gotten taught and taught during your playing careers that 
you really try to instill in your student athletes now? Coach Tiffany, do you want to start with that one? Sure. Um, I think for me, more of the things that I would draw from are less of what I wish someone would have taught me or told me and more of what I wish I would have listened to. Um, what I'm finding is a lot of them actually did tell me you have to work really hard. You have to be self-motivated. You need to get in the gym more. You've got to really own your craft. Um, one day this is all going to go away and you're going to have to do everything yourself. Um, and so it was all of those things where you just always think you have time or that it's not really going to be as hard as they're saying it's going to be. Um, and then it all hits you at once and you're like, oh, wow. Okay, they, they weren't lying, they're telling the truth. And so I think some of those things for me, like I said, are just, just the value of hard work. And I think the, I would say probably the biggest one for me though, is just being self-motivated. Um, you, you've got to go and do stuff on your own. You can't wait. If you want to be really good at whatever you're doing, you can't wait for somebody else to tell you what to do um, or to do it well you've got to figure that out yourself. And if you feel like what you're doing isn't good enough, then you've got to go back to the drawing board. You've got to figure something else out. Um, and the ones that are really, really, really good, I feel like that's a common denominator. And they, they always just said, I wanted to be the best in whatever I was doing. And it didn't matter what it took. I wasn't satisfied until I did it. And so I think that was one of the things that I, I would have done differently as a player. Um, but now as a coach, I try to live by every day. I can go. Um, I think kind of mine is along the same lines. Like there's a lot of stuff that when you get to college, you think, you know, everything. So um, for me, it was just one of those things where, okay, you know, I know everything. Like I made it here. I got myself here. Now it's just like everything that I did to get here instead of doing the extra above and beyond. And I took a hard lesson for it. Like I sat on the bench for two years and watched just because I was really stubborn and set in my ways. And I can relate to that a little bit. I will refrain from that story and we'll talk about that offline. But uh, what, what I would say that I took with me and, and I use this with our players is you don't know all the things you don't know. It, it's really pretty remarkable how many things you do not know. Um, so the lesson that I really learned was to be a, a continue to be a lifelong learner. Um, my coaches really instilled in us uh, that leaders are readers. Um, and so I, I carry that with me a lot. Uh, we encourage our players to do a lot of reading. We encourage them to be inquisitive. Uh, we encourage them to challenge status quo and ask a lot of questions um, because I, I learn from them just as much as hopefully they learn from me, if not more. But uh, yeah, I I didn't know all the things that I didn't know and, and I'm still in that same boat and, and I'm okay with it. It just uh, opens up a lot more doors for learning. Great responses. Kind of adding on to um, more off court, you know, uh, advice from all of you. Obviously we're all, we're all trying to be coaches. You all three are coaches, you know, win winning and losing is very important, but to you, could you just describe what's more important than winning? If that may, you know, if that makes sense. What are you trying to get out of your job? Obviously our athletes are more than just athletes and how you try to, you know, motivate them to understand that as well. Uh, sure. I'll jump on that. You guys are sitting on mute. So you're making me go first. I see what's going on here. That's all right. So what's more important than winning? Uh, Ashton, I'll tell you this, and I've said it a thousand times. Um, 
my one loss record's not going to be on my tombstone. It's not going to be something that I have to answer for. Um, but what I am going to have to answer for is the impact that I made on the people around me, um, the people that are in my charge and the people that I care for. So I think if, if we had to summarize it and put it in one word, impact is more important than winning. Um, because these student athletes, no matter if they played for me in junior college back when I was 28 or if they play for me now that I'm 29, it's, uh, it, it's one of those things that they're my walking trophies forever. And when you get done playing, I mean, I couldn't tell you what our one loss record was. I couldn't tell you scores of games, but I remember moments and I remember people and I remember conversations and I remember how I felt around those people. And um, so that's what I'm really striving for. Obviously, you want to win. I mean, that's important. That's our job. But I want to make an impact. I want to leave the world better than I found it. And I want to leave this profession better than I found it. It's hard to follow. Um, <laughs> I would say the first one is, is kind of funny, but it's so true. Um, my morals, like I, this is, is a, a business, um, but I want to be able to lay my head down at night. And I want to know that um, everywhere that I was, that I did it the right way and tried to do it the right way. Um, I've had a lot of different people that I've seen that have done it the right way and been very successful. Um, and so I, I want to be a part of that. Um, our kids and just making sure that when they leave this atmosphere where everything is catered to them, that they have a chance at life, they are self-sufficient. And like, regardless of if basketball is included or not, um, that they, they know how to take care of themselves. And if they want to take care of others back home, that they know what it takes um, and how to do that. And then I think the last part is, is the little bit of a selfish part. But for me, um, I just, I want to be remembered. I want to be really good at what I did. And it doesn't matter what that role is for me, but when um, I'm done with everything, I want people to say, man, Tiffany Coppage was the best, whatever it was that she was doing. And that's really, really important to me. And I don't know that that's calculated by wins and losses, but whatever you measure it by, I want them to be able to say that. I think mine would definitely have to be development. Um, just, I'm, I am so young in this industry and I've been through a lot of teams and I see how kids come in their first year and how they leave. And so um, it's that idea of leaving it uh, better, leave it better than what you found it. Um, just the development of them as a basketball player, a human being, um, whatever they want to be a citizen in this world. I think that's really important, just especially with everything going on and educating them and you know, having their back and lending a listening ear as well, just because I know um, when I was playing and stuff, I complained a lot and my coaches would listen to me, but then they would also be like, okay, so here's a solution that you could look at, or here's what you could do better. And I think that's really what I try. I try to get my girls to look at situations a different way and um, really problem solved through things instead of just always expecting me to have the answer like I did. You know, Coach Ariel, you are, you did mention how you're younger in this profession, you know, just kind of getting started. How do you handle um, pursuing your future aspirations while, you know, staying loyal to, you know, your current program, but also what are you doing for your personal development as a young coach in this industry as well? Uh, I think I reach out to a lot of people. I try to network a lot, um, whether it be at the final four, or whether I'm sitting next to a coach, you know, in the gym recruiting, I try to network a lot. Uh, I do look at what's out there, but 
I mean, when I'm ready to leave a place, I'm leaving the place. Like no matter (laughs) if there's a job open elsewhere, I'll find it. I don't have to have something else lined up, but I think it's really important, especially being this young to network, network, talk to people, pick their brains. Um, You know, you never know when you're sitting next to a head coach who's going to need to hire someone, you know, in the next couple months and you had a great conversation with them. Yeah, that's huge. I feel like a lot, like a lot of the things that people always say is like to not just network up and down, but to network across. Um, and so that's definitely um, a huge thing. But just kind of to to um, talk about all of um, your guys's like current roles. Um, how do you really like just support the people around you? So um, Coach Tiffany, Coach Arrow, like you guys are assistant coaches. Um, how do you really try to be like the best assistants? Um, and buy into the culture and kind of be that middleman between the head coach and the players. And then as well as coach Brittany, how do you really like set up a culture and a program that, you know, is fits, fits everyone well and, and sets up your assistants well and sets up your players well. Kind of a big packed question. Sorry. I'll defer. You guys start. I want to hear the assistant perspective before I chime in. Y'all go. Okay, interview interview time. So, um, no, I think, um, well, obviously, as a recruiting coordinator, first and foremost, that's my, my biggest, you know, um, contribution to the staff. Um, I, I, I want to be good at a lot of things, but I also know that the thing that you're there for, you have to do really, 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 really well, because that's why you're there. And so for me, that's organizing our recruiting efforts um, in whatever way that looks like. I am just trying to help our team and our staff move the needle as we kind of, you know, maneuver through the recruiting trail. And so that's through organization. Um, that's through identifying new talent. Sometimes that's simply through connecting other people or whatever that might look like for our staff. Um, it, it includes a lot of listening. I think a lot of people sometimes think that um, as a recruiting coordinator, it means that you delegate and you dictate everything. And sometimes it is that, but a lot of times it's not. Sometimes it is simply just listening at what your staff needs to be able to be really good as a unit. Um, And so I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing um, really is it doesn't change from the moment that I was a GA to now. It is making my head coach's life easier. And I'm not just saying that so Coach Brittany can smile. Um, But it is true. When when their stress is down, everybody stresses down. When your head coach is stressing out, the house is on fire for everybody. Everybody is freaking out. And so um, I think it it comes in the realm of whatever you need it to be. Sometimes that is an ear for my coach. Sometimes that is providing a solution to something that she's been racking her brain about um, all night. And, and sometimes it's, it's just being there for our kids. Um, so I think like I said, I know I kind of loaded everything into that answer, but really it is your utility, man. You're doing everything that you can. In my in my position, I feel like I'm doing everything and anything that my staff needs that's going to help us win. I want to do anything that's going to help us win. I think with me too, um, it's a lot of the relationships. So obviously with recruiting and stuff, building those relationships with the kids before they come in and then uh, – making it stronger whenever they're there, but just wearing all the different hats. Like I get called mom, I get called auntie, I get called sister. I'm, you know, coach, I'm their counselor, I'm their psychologist. So just doing all those things and being able to manage them, just like Tiffany said, so no problems need to get like put to our head coach. So if problems go to our head coach, that's when things are in trouble. But if there are things or issues that happen within the team, try to, um, you know, 
get those fires out before they have to go to a bigger issue. And then I think on the, uh, with that also just empathy and tough love. And I really, I really emphasize empathy because it's not sympathy. If um, anyone who knows me would say I'm not a sympathetic person at all, it's not that, but I was in your shoes at one point in time. I know how hard it can be, but I'm also going to remind you that there are hundreds of other kids doing the same thing you're doing. So you're not doing anything different. So yes, we had a 6 a.m. workout and you have to go to class now and then. Yeah, you got to get shots up after class. I don't feel bad for you. I had to do the same thing. Um, so just being able to be that voice for them too, whether they want to hear it or not. Yeah, so from the head coaching perspective, you know, in, in terms of my staff, what do I expect? Um, we have one rule, uh, standard expectation of my staff is care about our kids. And that is going to um, show itself in a bunch of different ways through the relationships, as Ariel mentioned, through uh, being an active listener, as Tiffany said, and, and being able to recognize a problem before it becomes a full-blown an emergency. Um, I try to hire smart people and then let them work and get out of their way. Um, you know, like I said, when we first started talking, you know, that there's no secrets in basketball. Everybody has been taught a little bit differently. Um, and I want to hear the different opinions. I do not hire people that just tend to agree with me. Um, if I wanted to hear the sound of my own voice, I'd sit in my house and just talk to myself. I, I want people who are going to challenge uh, the things that I was, I was brought to believe that work uh, well. I want to hear different ideas. I, I want to hear, um, you know, their aspirations because my job is to coach three different teams. I'm coaching our athletes, I'm coaching our coaching staff, and then our support staff because everyone has different aspirations. I don't think anybody on this call, you know, aspires to just sit and be an assistant coach. You all want to be 15 inches over and sit in that big chair and, and sweat more than any human being should really have to. I get that. So my job is to prepare my coaching staff for the next step in their career with encouraging them to do things like this with, with rising coaches, to do top connect, to do those things. Um, Cause I want smart people around me. I want people that aspire to more. I want enthusiastic people around me. And I want people to understand that if you work for me or work in my program, like I said earlier, I went to Alabama. So I have this bear Bryant mentality. If something goes wrong, if you make a mistake, I will shoulder that. That is mine. All the losses belong to me. And I'm fine with that. I am broad shouldered. I have lifted weights for years. I'm good. If we do something good, then we all did it. But if we did something great, then it is my job to be effusive in my praise for my staff, for my players, for my support staff. I don't need the pat on the back. I have to give that pat on the back. And so it's promoting, it's empowering, and it's letting people feel that they are valued and they are contributing in a way that most people in the general public wouldn't acknowledge. Wow, yeah, those were all great answers. Um, Coach, I just have um, a follow-up about, you said like you you like learners around you and you and you like people that, you know, wanna ask questions and, and don't have, you know, necessarily um the same ideas and voices as you um you have a doctorate which is so cool and you completed it like pretty like 2018 um so basically just just kind of if you could um speak on that like what made you want to do that um how are you able to now use like your global studies like leadership um doctorate in your current role and um how did you even balance 
you know, <laughs> taking those classes and being a successful head coach, not just a head, like not just a coach, like very successful head coach. Um, I, I think it, it goes back to, to another one of the mantras we use in our program. Um, I, I, I do just for, for clarity, I do have an EDD in global sport leadership from ETSU. I would encourage any of you that are at that level, look at it, Andy Farrell, I'm talking to you. Um, but you need to look at this program, but you know, our philosophy and, and one of our main philosophies in our program is, uh, if they're going to be a woman, then they need to see a woman. And we have to continue to push the envelope for education for women. And what better way to set the example than for me to go ahead and say, hey, I've got my master's. What's next? What can I do to get a terminal degree? Um, and it did take uh, two and a half years. I did two studies abroad while I was coaching and uh, it has been difficult. Shout out to my uh, assistant coach, associate head coach, Keisha McClinic, who made me sit in study hall. So I appreciate that. Uh, she was reading over my shoulder while we we're on bus trips and she was knocking on my door uh, when we we're on road trips to make sure I was doing my homework. Um, but uh, when you get to be a head coach, you don't sleep a whole lot anyway. So I had some free time. So I thought, why not uh, do a doctoral program? And uh, it, it's been a great example for our kids. Um, it, and it makes pushing our uh, academic agenda much, much easier when I can say, hey, I attended ETSU. I got a doctorate while the season was going on. Don't tell me that intro to English is too tough right now. We can get through this. All right. Um, but it, it's something that I enjoy. I, like I said, I enjoy learning. I, I enjoy um, just being inquisitive about things. And, and it's, a, it's a nice talking piece for our program. But uh, it was a lot of sleepless nights, Aaron. So I'll, I'll own that. Major props to you, Coach. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> Uh, Coach Tiffany, um, you kind of alluded to this earlier about your JUCO experience before heading to Missouri State. We'd love to just hear more about that transition for you personally. Was that hard from, you know, JUCO to um, a D1? And then also just more about the JUCO level and, you know, how that affected you and where you are, where you are today. Yeah, awesome. So I'll I'll kind of reverse it and I'll start with like what my experience was as a junior college player. Um, I loved it. I'm gonna be honest. Um, I actually had no clue what JUCO was um, when I was coming out of high school. Um, I, I got a late start. I didn't play AAU or anything like that. I just, I was blessed to have some people around me that knew um, that that could be an avenue for me. And so they helped me direct that, direct myself that way. Um, and the coach that I went to play for, um, man, she was like, when we say basketball mom, like her name would be there. Um, she was really tough on me. She was not my friend, but it was kind of like this weird love-hate relationship. And I use hate very lightly. That's just the hate that players kind of say that they have for their coaches. Like, oh, you make me run. Oh, you, you tell me I have to go to study hall. So, um, but I, I loved everything about her. She was just tough as nails and um, she never let me be mediocre. Um, it didn't matter that I had a different path or a later start than everybody. Um, I, I was a shooter. Um, that's all I did. And I remember one game, I missed a couple of shots and um, I stopped shooting. She benched me. And I was like, what are you like? Why? And she's like, well, if you're not going to shoot, then I'm not going to play. Like, what's the point? And in that moment, like I appreciated her so much because, you know, that did a lot for me, not just for that moment, for but for honestly, years down the road, that that mindset alone has helped me so much. And so um, the Juco experience for me, I loved my teammates. Um, I was in the middle of nowhere. 
Um, for Scott, Kansas, there was like one stoplight to get through the town. And so I didn't know it, but it was preparing me for a lot of the places that I would live as an adult um, and coach in <laughs> and be okay with it because they were much bigger than that. Um, and um, I, I think really it was just competitive. It was in the Jayhawk. Um, and that's one of the best leagues out there. And so just on a lot of different levels, it was preparing me in ways that I didn't know that it would. Um, now, what I can say is kind of wrapping back um, to the transition that um, honestly, if I'm being really, really transparent, that was not golden for me. Um, I did. I struggled. I was one of those people that struggled with that. Um, I wasn't a player that thought I was going to go to the WNBA. Um, basketball was a tool. It was an avenue for me to get to where I wanted to go in my professional life. And um, because of that, when we talk about the things about being a self-starter and getting on the court, um, you know, once you go division one, everybody is good. And so talent alone isn't enough. And if you don't get in the gym, then it really doesn't matter. And I didn't learn that lesson until too late. I was a captain um, because I was just a natural leader. And it's really hard to be that when you're not on your business as a basketball player. Um, and it's really hard to do that, especially when you're in a transitioning program. My head coach, it was our first division one head coaching job. That was hard, you know, um, and people talk about that, what that's like for a coach, but not often do they talk about what you're signing up for as a player. And that's not a knock by any means, but it did not help um, that I just wasn't really prepared myself to go through that transition and be able to take care of myself as a player, but then also lead a team that I was, I was new to. Um, so for me, that was a hard transition, but what I can say is on a very positive note, it helped me to be the coach I am today because there were so many things that I learned that I refuse um, to let happen again. And so many things that when I see little instances of it in our players, I go, hey, let me snatch you back really quick. You might not listen to me now, but I'm trying to beg you to listen um, because it'll save you a lot of heartache, a lot of regret. And eventually you're going to learn that you don't get a chance to go back. We all hear that. But like no matter what, I cannot change my playing career. I'm not going to be able to rewrite that. What I can do is define myself as a coach and redefine myself in the game. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that that transition for me was really hard, um, but it was rewarding as a coach now. Sorry, that was kind of long-winded. <laughs> no, thank you for the honesty. That was, that was really good. Lots of good stuff in there. Yeah, seriously. Um, coach, uh, coach Ariel, I just have, um, you kind of talked about you are the mom, you are the, you are the auntie, you are everything. You're, um, you know, you really are there for your players. Um, I obviously know you on a personal, um, level. So side story, Ariel literally came to my high school from Notre Dame and watched, <laughs> watched me play after meeting me at like this summer camp. We went to the Notre Dame summer camp and we both had feathers in our hair. Cause that was the thing then. And she's just, is always, she goes the extra mile and and so that's been really cool to just kind of be able to sit back and watch her um, now kind of step out into her coaching career um, after watching her play and, and be a fan like that. But um, just kind of to speak, like you played at Notre Dame, you played under these phenomenal people. Martha um, McGraw, she owns it. Like she, you know, speaks to everything about, you know, equality and women and, you know, all of those things. Um, I know that's something that you're passionate about, um, but just kind of how have you been able to, you know, support your players during this time, support, you know, your other, the other people around you, um, just with, you know, 
the social injustices happening and COVID in general, um, what are kind of some ways that you've been able to, to kind of channel that and, and, and even like go to those coaches for advice about handling situations? Yeah, I think Coach McGraw obviously is a really good person to mirror off of things going on, but that was one of her big things uh, when I was a player is like, if there's something going on that you don't like, or you don't agree with, then you have to figure out a way to change it. And so right now it's really interesting with my girls. Um, I'm trying to empower them and things like that. And you don't think about it, uh, I guess, being at this age, but, you know, over half of them weren't registered to vote. So now we're registering them to vote so that they can make a difference in, in that aspect. And then uh, Coach Tungate has done a really good job of just uh, setting up meetings with the city of Rochester Hills, Auburn Hills, you know, uh, trying to get together so we can have those tough conversations with people in the city. Um, and so our girls know that they're protected by them as well. And then on top of that, I know we're gonna try to do um, like a game you know, fingers crossed that that happens this year uh, with money and stuff going to, you know, one of those organizations where they're raising awareness about the social injustice and things like that. And I think our girls, um, they, a lot of them are uncomfortable talking about it in a group setting. And I think that's where they need to do it the most. So I always try to encourage that if there's ever any meeting, Zoom meeting that we have and you know, you get those text messages or FaceTimes right away. I haven't even logged off the meeting right away. Well, I didn't like that she said this. Okay, well, talk about it. Like, I don't know, why Why are you calling me? I can't fix what she said. So really getting them to grow up, I guess, in a sense, and, you know, be able to respective, respectively argue or disagree, not argue, but disagree with a teammate. And it's not going to affect how they play on the court together. It's not gonna affect them as teammates in the locker room. So really without all the drama, just being able to have those tough conversations. Yeah, definitely. Um, coach uh, Tiffany and Coach Brittany, if you guys kind of wanna um, add to that, kind of what you are doing with your own teams, um, if you've been able to have those conversations and, and obviously, with COVID and everything going on, what are some things that you guys have been able to do? Well, there, there's so many things going on right now. It's like they're overloaded with information. Um, so the first thing that we've tried to do as a staff is listen uh, with the intent to understand rather than just to respond. Um, I want to understand where they're coming from. They're all from so different backgrounds and um, they've been brought up differently. So we have to understand where each person is coming from before we can help them get to where it is, ever it is they want to go. Um, so that's my first job is to listen. My next job is to be an ally, not just an anti-racist um, when it comes to the social justice platform and to be able to provide our student athletes with an outlet to express themselves um, and to do the things that they want to do in their team. It's my program, but it's their team. And I have to support that. Um, so we talk a lot about that. Uh, actually, last night, East Tennessee State University had brought in a speaker, uh, Jen Fry. If you guys have not heard Jen Fry, uh, go to her website, jenfrytalks.com. Remarkable conversation, and, and it's really eye-opening, uh, especially for someone like me, um, a, a white female. I don't have the same experiences as some of my players or my staff, but I do have a, a really diverse staff which I think helps. And I think having that 
is always a bonus. Um, but I think there's a lot of platforms, you know, social justice needs to be at the front of everybody's mind, but we've got to continue to push the agenda for getting women into roles of administrators, more female coaches, uh, equaling the pay scale for women and men doing the exact same job. There's a lot of things that we can put in front of our student athletes. So our job, first and foremost, is to listen, find out what's at the front of their, their thought pattern, and then help them address it as best we can. Uh, but most importantly, we have to be vulnerable enough to say, I don't know, and let me help you find an answer. And uh, sometimes that's deferring to people that know better than I do and, and just allow me to continue to learn. So that's what, that's what we're doing at ETSU. Awesome. I think all of that's great. Um, obviously, being a, a Black female, this this is a really, really um, important time, um, especially for me. And, and it's an opportunity, I think, um, you know, for me to first be an example, I think, for our girls. Um, that's one of the big things that I've been I've been carrying a lot over this time is I, I've been trying to educate myself more. Um, because there's a lot of things that even as a Black female, I was never taught. Um, things that I've had to educate myself on so that I can try to help them through it. Um, being an example on how to deal with a lot of the things that are going on around us because I know they're watching. Um, we're, we're a little bit older and a little bit more mature and have lived through some things and witnessed some things um, that perhaps they haven't. Um, this generation is very different. A lot of things happen on social media. A lot of things we knew about, we heard about from our parents, but they're witnessing it um, and they can see it for themselves without understanding exactly what they're looking at. And so I think um, for us, there's been a lot of conversation. Um, the biggest thing, and, and I, I give a lot of praise to our administration um, and to my head coach, um, she, she's been phenomenal at just creating a platform um, for our girls to come with a couple of different agendas that they can have. The first is to be heard. Um, we wanted to know how they were feeling. We wanted to make sure that they had a space for that because we've all been there, I'm sure, at one point where people say they want to hear, but you know that they really don't. And so um, basically trying to create that space for them, even when they don't have anything to say, because we know that on the third or fourth time, they'll know it's for real. And maybe they will speak up and even if it's just one person. Um, so that's been big for us. Um, education has been big for us. We did take them to register to vote. I think that's awesome um, because it's it's an agenda that needs to be pushed. Um, and, and then the other part is action. We've been trying to uh, really teach them, okay, now that you've identified how you feel, now that you've identified where a problem is, what are we going to do about it? All of those problems have been identified a million times before. The difference is now you have a chance to do something because everybody is listening. Everyone is afraid to not listen, to not act. So don't miss the opportunity. And I think that's really hard because, you know, I remember when I was that age and I didn't care. There was, I, I could go in the gym or I could watch TV or hang with my friends out of sight, out of mind. It was important for like two minutes. But now that they have something that they can escape to, that's easy, you don't wanna think about it. However, this opportunity won't be there forever. And so I think that's the hard part is we've been trying to find the balance and getting them to keep everything relevant and keep it as a conversation while not trying to force them into anything that they don't want to do. Um, and so I think it, it's been really complicated. We're figuring it out on the fly, but um, for me personally, it's been, 
it's really made my heart smile um, just to see just some of the things that our girls have taken under their own wings and made important um, or the questions that they ask. So I know that their their minds are turning. Um, So yeah, it's really just listening to a lot of people and trying to figure out whose idea we can steal next um, to try to help change things. Thank, thank you for those uh, really important words. Really important. Thank you. We want to open up for viewer questions. Uh, so, Coach Andy, we saw you had a couple questions. If you want to unmute yourself to ask. Yeah, appreciate it. And thanks so much for, for, for everyone being here and, and all the wisdom that everyone's sharing. Um, Coach Zell, or should I say doctor, um, Brittany, is fine. Brittany is fine. Brittany is fine. <laughs> um, you recently hired a former player um, mm-hmm. who was a uh, GA prior, and now she is a uh, full-time assistant coach. What qualities or characteristics did you see in her as a player that you thought she would make a, a good GA? And then what was she doing as a GA to then get bumped all the way up to an assistant coach that you thought was, she would be valuable? Um, so the young lady that he's referring to, uh, her name is Brittany Snowden. Uh, Brittany was a junior college transfer into our program from Northwest Florida State, which was previously known as Okaloosa Walton. And many of you probably do not know that's where I got my head coaching start. I was a junior college coach at Okaloosa Walton when I was 28 years old. And uh, so I have a heart for junior college kids. Um, we brought Brittany into the program and and I'll say this about her and I've said it in front of her. I'll say it for the rest of my life. She is the best leader that I have ever coached. She communicates at a high level. I think to use Ariel's word, she's one of the most empathetic leaders. She relates to her teammates. She understands them, but at the same time, she holds them accountable. Um, and Brittany had those abilities that we really look for. And and everybody will ask me all the time, what abilities is that about a player? Accountability, dependability, responsibility. Do you have those abilities? If you have those abilities, I can teach you all the other things. Um, I trust Brittany completely. Um, She's never given us a reason not to. Um, And she's been one of the hardest workers I've ever coached. So when I was 23 years old, um, my former head coach, Rick Moody, hired me for my first time uh, coaching position. And I'm doing the exact same thing for Brittany. And uh, when we're given opportunities, it's our job to provide opportunities for other people. Um, so it, it does no good if all we do is, is want for ourselves, want for ourselves. I want more for her. And this is going to be a remarkable opportunity for her to put her stamp on a, on a career and on a profession that has really given a lot to she and her family. So, uh, Andy, to answer your question, best leader I've ever coached most trustworthy kid you could ever imagine, um, and a big-time worker. You would absolutely fall in love with Brittany Snowden when you meet her, and I have no doubt that recruits will feel the exact same way. Awesome. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Jonathan, do you want to go ahead and ask your question? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Jonathan Finkel. Uh, I spent the past two years actually at a Division I junior college. Uh, so my question is more junior college-related. Um, so obviously working at junior college, you know, what are some of the biggest lessons you learned while working there? Um, you know, the people that may not know about it a whole lot that are currently looking for a job or as even a player looking to play at the next level, a lot of people uh, have a lot of misconceptions having worked the past two years at what the goal of junior college is or what kind of competition you, you go against every year. 
Either way, I'm on me again. I see what you're doing. Y'all are setting me up here to answer all these questions. <laughs> I, I was ready. I was ready. <laughs> Y'all go. I'll clean it up. Y'all go. I got it. I'll clean it up. Go ahead. Y'all I'll, go first. I'll go first because I'm sure that she can come through as and and just, I mean hammer it because I know I'm gonna miss stuff. Um, but <laughs> I think as a player first, I would say um, don't think of it as as um, the stepchild. It's not. Um, people go to junior college for a lot of different reasons. It, everybody is not there because they don't make the grades. Everybody is not there because they're not good enough. Um, you're going to play against some of the best talent in the nation, and you're going to have teammates that are going to go on to be doctors and lawyers. Like everybody takes a different path. And so I think that um, you just have to understand what you're there for and make sure you get what you came to get out of two years. Um, go and work your butt off if you're a, a player and, um, you know, do do all the things. Basically, don't waste two years because you're only going to have two left whenever you get to where you get. And so you need to make sure that you're ahead of the freshmen and the sophomores that you're going to go somewhere else and be with. Um, working there, I did not work there. But what I can say in hindsight is understand it's going to be a grind. Um, when you're signing up for, for JUCO, um, you might like you're not going to have the luxury buses and the, the meals as a player. Our postgame meal is McDonald's like and, and we had a limit. OK, so <laughs> you, you may get a Coke if you're lucky and you might share some fries. <laughs> we had 14 and 15 hour bus rides where you're, you know, you're packed up. All your bags are in two rows and everybody is laying across each other. Definitely a health hazard. So I hope I'm not getting anybody in trouble here. Um, and you're lucky if you got a radio sometimes. You know what I mean? Like you sometimes it is entertaining yourself. Um, and and it, it's hard. You're in the middle of nowhere a lot of times because there's not a lot of distractions. Sometimes it's not like that. But I would say that, again, as a coach, understand what you're going there for. Um, basketball is basketball. It doesn't matter if you're coaching it for two years for a player or four years for a player. Competition is competition. If you're trying to get better, if you want to get your foot in the door, um, it's a great opportunity. Players are trying to go on somewhere else to play, which means that other coaches at, that are where you're trying to go are going to come in your gym. They're going to want to talk to you. They're going to want your players. That's an opportunity. If you're really good at what you do at the junior college level, I promise you someone at a four year is going to want to, they're going to want to poach you. Um, so you just have to maximize it. And I would say if you have an opportunity to get your foot in the door going Juco, go. Do not look at it as the second best or anything um, because it, it's a way to get in and people ultimately want experience. They want to know that you know how to coach basketball, you know the grind. And if you can grind at a Juco, you can grind just about anywhere. So um, that that's what I would say to player and coach. Um, as a coach, I would say more of like the resources. So obviously I went from playing at Notre Dame and then I go there and it's like, I'm handwriting scouting reports. There is no program to write them and stuff like that. And the film to get it, it's, you know, you're watching on synergy, you're trying to get, you know, the rosters and with the NJCAA, not everything's always up to date. So then you're going from there. So, um, you know, just finding finding those different ways to get it. And so I was friends with some of the other coaches in JUCO simply because I was like, okay, hey, I need your roster. So uh, can you send that to me? <laughs> um, and just finding a way, like I said, maximize your resources. And then um, for me, I think one of the harder things was definitely I lived in the middle of nowhere. So I lived in Snyder, Texas, and I had to live in the dorms with the players. 
So they were constantly knocking on my door. Like it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, I don't like this. Like, (laughs) I don't know how this is going to be everywhere. Um, And for me also, uh, I was a huge Starbucks drinker and the nearest Starbucks was an hour and a half away. So, uh, you know, when I looked at those things, like it's not their first world problems. Obviously, it's not a real struggle, but um, JUCO, it was it opened my eyes to a lot different like different things and how I explain things as a coach as well. So, you know, I came into the first practice with my post players. I was like, all right, slip the screen. And they weren't doing it at all. And I was like, slip the screen. And so I was like, okay, who doesn't know what slip the screen means? And so, you know, going over that in depth, demonstrating it, showing them and then doing it with them. So finding those different ways of coaching on really trying to break things down for them. Yeah, I, I can piggyback on that from from coaching junior college. I did not live in the middle of nowhere. I lived in Destin, Florida. Um, someone had to do it, so I apologize. That was me. I did it. Um, the thing that I learned there really is uh, to try to enhance my attitude of gratitude, uh, to really be grateful for the things that I had and the opportunities that I had, and even be grateful for the things that I didn't because it made me struggle a little bit. And you learn more about yourself through a struggle than you do through success. Um, when I was coaching junior college, I was coaching the team. I was teaching two classes and I was bartending five nights a week, uh, just to make a little bit of money to live in Destin, Florida. So my players were on curfew five nights a week. They couldn't figure that out. Uh, it's because I was bartending and I didn't want them rolling up in there and ordering a daiquiri. So that's, that's pretty much how that went. Um, the other big lesson that I learned and Ariel touched on it uh, a little bit, you have to assume that they know nothing. And you assume that at every level. Um, And you really find out about yourself as a teacher when you drop down to some of those levels, not because the basketball is any different, because they come to junior college for one of three reasons. There's an academic deficiency. There's a either a basketball lack of exposure or a lack of skill. Maybe they're a little under undersized or there's some sort of social problem. If they've got one of those problems, I usually took them. If they had two, we, we tread, treaded lightly. And if they had the Holy Trinity, then we ran fast and ran far. We did not get near those kids. But uh, so it was really one of those things where you had to figure out how to relate to a bunch of different kids um, very quickly. Um, I think it helps you build relationships um, and to really be invested in somebody because those kids at the junior college level, they need you. And they need you to be all about them and for them. And you have to be okay as a junior college coach knowing they're using you and you're welcoming it. That's all you want. Use me up. Use every bit of resource, every bit of knowledge, every bit that I can give you. Use me up. So um, to the athletes who want to go junior college, 80% of my kids at Okaloosa Walton were qualifiers. Um, I'll tell you a true story real fast. Uh, I had a kid at the local high school. Her name was Andrea Kelly. Uh, when I got to Okaloosa Walton, she was verbally committed to go to Alabama State. And this kid was just a phenomenal shooter. So I went and begged and pleaded and told her, I said, if you come play for me and I can't do better than Alabama State for you, I will pay for you to go to Alabama State out of my own pocket. Two years later, she signed at LSU as the number five shooting guard in the country. I thought I did a good thing. The Alabama State coaches still hate me, but I did my job and she used me up and uh, she actually was a GA for me here at ETSU 
And uh, so, yeah, had a professional career in Korea. So I would say JUCO did just fine for her. Uh, her roommate was actually pre-med, went on and played at Campbell. And Jamie now is at OBGYN in Charlotte, North Carolina. JUCO can set you up for some really, really cool things. Wow, that's that's awesome. Um, Stephanie, if you want to go ahead and um, unmute yourself, you can ask your question. Hi, um, thank you guys for sharing your amazing stories and feedback. Um, I'm going into my, my name is Stephanie. I'm going into my second year as a graduate assistant um, at Seattle University. Um, I guess I just want advice in regards to how to, can I continue to just grow in the my career as a coach and just what sh should I be doing this year to prepare myself for all these jobs that I will be applying for next year and attending the final four and everything. So it's just a lot of just kind of, you know, stress. I'm just like, Oh my God, things are moving fast, especially with everything going on. Sure. You yeah, guys want that? There you go. I said, I'll, go first. You take I'll, it first? I'll step up. I'll step up. Here we go. <laughs> no, I, I think for me, uh, the biggest thing is network, network, network. And, um, just knowing that you're going to apply for maybe 10 to 15 jobs and you're not going to get any of them in the, in the first round, like you can't be discouraged. You got to keep pushing through. And I think for me, I, um, not only did networking help, but you know, after I didn't get the inner, like I made it to the last interview or the second interview after I didn't get them, just reaching out to those coaches and being like, Hey, you know, what could I have done better? Um, I really want to be in this industry. You like Tiffany has said, you have to be a self-motivator, like self-starter. You really yeah. gotta go out and grind. Um, it is a big grind, but you know, uh, with so many opportunities going on right now and with the way the world the world is, you know, there are some people looking to step step away from it. So it's almost the perfect time to get in. Thank you. Um, I would, I would say quick, quick, quick story. So I don't know if people would still recommend to do this or not, but it worked for me. And it was <laughs> something crazy that I heard while I was at, um, the, in the, so you want to be a coach program. And I was going into my GA and someone said about reaching out. And so I had this weird idea that, um, I would email coaches, um, that were around the region that I wanted to go to. And all I would do is send them emails randomly all throughout the season and say, great win coach. Hey, I saw you got this, this um, team down here. Good job. Wait a and I didn't ask for anything. I didn't care if they emailed me back. All I wanted them to do was see my name pop up and know that I was paying attention to their program. The craziest thing is my first job offer came from someone reaching out to me on Facebook, the most weird and bizarre. And I got a job offer as a division one assistant coach after one year of being a GA. So when people tell you those crazy stories, do it. He was looking for somebody that was young and motivated and hungry. And my constant emails let him know that one, I wanted to be in the region and two, that I was going to do whatever it took. Um, and I was okay with that. And so that for me worked. Might not work for you. I don't know. It's really out there. But I, I'm almost 10 years in the game now and grateful that I did that. The second thing that I would say is, is um, one, you got the playbook earlier. She just told you why she hired somebody. So definitely go back and watch what she said. Um, but be really, really good at whatever your role is so that you can do that in your sleep and ask for more responsibility. The best thing that I did as a GA was get to touch everything so that when I did get that offer, 
I felt confident that there was nothing that they were going to throw my way that I hadn't done or I wasn't prepared for. And so I think as much as you can touch, try to. But as a coach, I'm not going to ask my head coach to give you more responsibility if you're not just absolutely killing it at what you're already supposed to do. So first, get to where you can do that in your sleep and then go and and touch every other thing that you possibly can so that when the opportunity comes, you're ready. And that, both of you guys nailed it. That was great. Um, Stephanie, great question. Um, I'm a little bit different. Um, I have never applied for a job in my entire career. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people, and I truly believe it, that if you excel at whatever job you're at, people will find you. It's the same thing we tell recruits. Um, the big time will find you wherever you are, and then wherever you are, make it the big time. Um, so that would be my encouragement to you. Um, the other thing that I would say, just to piggyback on what Tiffany said, her, her point was great. Be a work taker, not a work maker. Um, head coaches don't want assistants that make more work, that, they, that cause more work, that, that they want people that take responsibility rather than deflect it or give it away. Um, and both of them made great points about networking. There are coaches out there and you are welcome to reach out to me anytime. Um, I take a lot of joy and pride in helping coaches get coaching positions, even if it's not on my staff. Um, there's a lot of fluidity within the coaching community. People leave and move and, and that's fine as long as we're all on, on the same page with what the end game should be and that's to impact kids. So I'm happy to help. There's a lot of coaches out there like me. I'm sure Ariel and Tiffany would say the same thing. They would be happy to help if you reached out to any of us. Um, do not stress, okay? Stress worries about the future. Be, be very patient and stay in the present. Um, there's, there's enough worries for tomorrow. Just stay right here where you are. Learn as much as you can every day, and then uh, tomorrow will take care of itself. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Love that. That was really good. Matthew, you want to go next? Yeah, so uh, uh, for coaches, uh, um, in the past, like, couple months that I've, like, watched your program, you've had two assistant coaches leave planning for, like, this summer session that started and then your season ahead compared to what you had planned before, before they left. Oh, it, it kind of goes to the the mantra that, you know, I make all these plans and God kind of laughs, Matthew. I mean, it, it's, it's funny how things get moved. Um, we had an assistant move on and take another assistant job at another school with a new head coach. Um, Kelly Mathis did a great job for us and uh, moved over to Winthrop. Um, Ashley Houts, one of my current assistants, was offered a phenomenal position at Nike headquarters. Uh, so who am I to say that you can't take that job? Uh, so I was really uh, excited to be able to hire Brittany. And um, I, I can go ahead and tell you guys, uh, I've got another assistant lined up um, and she'll be coming on board uh, August 1st. Um, really excited about Liberty uh, to come in and help. But uh, there, there's there's really an overarching plan that you can plug in different people, Matthew, to be honest. And I hate to say this, and I don't want it to come off as callous, but we're all replaceable. We're all replaceable. And especially in this business, you can you can go out kicking and screaming. You can come in with, you know, thunderous applause and fireworks. We're all replaceable um, because everybody on this screen, if you want to be a coach, you're going to sign up to get fired or you're going to sign up to move jobs. It just is what it is. And, and we have to be so secure in what we are as coaches and, and what we're capable of doing. And I'm very secure in what we do in our program, that whomever we bring in is going to follow that one mantra, one guideline, one expectation. They're going to care about our kids. And then I can teach them the rest of the stuff. 
So I want coaches to come in, squeeze all the juice they can get out of me, learn all they can, and then go on their way and, and get more experiences because that's what this is all about. Get all the experience you can. Great question. Thank you, Matthew. Daria, if you would like to unmute yourself, you can ask your question. Yeah, thank you, Ashton. Uh, my name is Daria Sharova. I'm an assistant at uh, Montreal College, North Carolina. Um, my question is, um, I came from Europe. Um, I'm Russian uh, originally, and uh, this will be my ninth year in America. And my question is, some of you experience, ever experience international basketball. Um, you know, it's very diverse, um, different schools, different approaches. If some of you ever like took something from what we teach there and bring it to your program, or uh, you always believed, um, I guess, an American approach, you know? So, because <laughs> I think it's my biggest battle, you know, I love, I love European basketball, uh, I love American basketball, so I try to combine it together, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you guys want to jump on that? I can say one thing that I know for sure that we love is that everybody can shoot. Whatever that means, uh, you guys are doing a lot of things right because everybody knows how to shoot. Um, but no, I, I think, I, I don't know. I we Our system lends itself to uh, the type of ball that you guys play. I know just, you know, there's a couple of things, footwork and things like that. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to, to transition over to, but um, at the end of the day, I think that it really all is kind of the same. It's just um, when they get here, trying to in, encourage them to engulf themselves in the culture, not lose who they are, um, but still being able to just figure out what your niche is as a player and then find you a system that fits that. And as long as you do that, it really doesn't matter if you're playing on this side of the world or the other side of the world. And I, and I apologize. I hope that that maybe is answering or that's the route that you were, you're kind of taking as far as the player goes. Um, if not, I'm sure somebody else can definitely clean that up. Um, but yeah, I, I think that basketball is basketball. And so aside from uh, just the, the little things, like I said, footwork and different rules and FIBA and things like that, really it's just finding the right system um, to either coach in or bring those players in um, that will allow their game to really be itself. Because I don't think you want to change um, too much of who they are or they could lose it. Uh, speaking from experience with me, Coach, you're right across the mountain from me. So if you ever want to come over to Johnson City, I'm I'm, I'm happy to welcome you guys. I think we play you guys this year. So yeah. come come after the game. Okay, so come after the game. Um, what I will say <laughs> is, from uh, from from my experience, you know, basketball and soccer are truly the the most global sports. Um, they're universal, and and the game pretty much remains the same. What I appreciate the most about the European model is the way that it's taught from a fundamental level at a very early age through the club levels, uh, working up to the professional levels. I, I really wish the United States would take a little bit more of that same approach um, when it came to almost like minor league up to the majors, up to the pros. I, I really wish we had that same system. Uh, I do appreciate the fundamental soundness. I appreciate the finesse. Uh, unfortunately, in the United States, the game has become a lot more physical um, than it was ever intended to be by Dr. Naismith at Kansas. It was intended to be a non-contact sport, uh, and it has turned into rugby slash football slash hockey at times. So I appreciate the pureness of the European game. 
and I would love to continue to implement European practices and would love to pick your brain uh, about some things that you think um, would actually help my program. I, I would love to hear that. Um, so yeah, we can definitely connect after this call because that is a uh, welcome and refreshing change from, from what we're used to. We're in the South, so everybody plays American football. So we're just used to running into each other and falling down and then getting up and doing it again. So yeah, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I think same with Brittany. I love uh, the fundamentals. That's a big thing for me. But I also love that I can get an email from a girl who's 6'6", and her highlights are all of her shooting the three ball. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Like, I'll take a, you know what? I'll teach you how to post up. I'm not worried about that. You can shoot, you can score. I'll figure out the rest. So I can appreciate that. <laughs> Definitely great questions, um, everybody. Um, just to kind of be respectful of um, our guest time and everyone else's time, um, we just want to um, wrap wrap it up. We um, always do kind of our our points of pride here. So it's just kind of one one thing you guys really um, take with you every day, um, whether it was the best day or like the worst possible day ever. But um, what are some, what is like that one thing that you have to really keep you encouraged in, in going into the next day to, to do your job super well? Um, I think with me, um, I think the motivating factor for me is when my mom told me every after every game, yeah, you had a great game, but there's always someone out there that's better than you. So each day I kind of go into it. Okay. Even if it was a really, really good day, I'm like, I'm going to be better tomorrow. Uh, so just always looking forward to the next and trying to be uh, better than I was the day before. Um, I think for, for me, uh, like I, I alluded to it earlier, I, I just want to be really, really good at everything um, that I do. And so that is a driving factor for me. If it's a bad day, um, I know I got to be better. If it's a good day, I still want to be better. Um, and so I think carrying that with me every day is just, it, it's all the lessons that I learned and that we talked about earlier, wrapped up into one. Um, and they just kind of, they kind of serve as a chaser for me. Um, it keeps me pushing for um, whatever is down the road and that could change for me. I don't know, but um, whatever it is, I just want to be really, really good at it. I think my, my point of pride is I, I try real hard not to have a bad day. Uh, I might have a bad moment, um, but I try real hard not to have a bad day because I have to be the model for everything. Uh, for the fans, for the assistants, for the coach, for the for the student athletes, for the support staff, I'm not allowed to have a bad day, nor am I allowed to have a day off. I might take one and sit by the pool, but I've still got my phone. Um, but I, I'm going to have a couple bad moments. But I work really hard to make sure that no one in my program truly has a bad day, uh, because the worst day coaching is still better than you know the best day doing some other jobs that are out there. And, and we're really really fortunate to. Um, be given an opportunity to make a living coaching a child's game. So uh, that's what I try to keep in perspective. I drop. <laughs> Great responses. Uh, thank you guys so much, all three of you, for taking time to be with us tonight. It was very beneficial. Um, I really enjoyed it. I know Aaron did. We've been texting back and forth, making sure we're asking the right questions. But thank you to our viewers also for tuning in for another week, but also being very in intentional with your questions and your listening. Um, coaches, if you don't mind, whatever contact information, 
I see you guys doing it now that you feel comfortable with, uh, feel free to drop it in the chat. Uh, but we just want to express how grateful we are that you took some time to be with us tonight. And thanks Absolutely. for having us. Thank Ariel, you. Tiffany, great job. Y'all killed it. Listen, you killed it. You no, did. Hey, you guys are on my list. One thread and one liners. You're on my list, okay? I have a list of assistants, and I wrote down 90% of the stuff you said. All right. So I right. don't think I won't call your coaches and tell them what you said. All right. So I dig that about you. Ashton, thank you so much. Aaron, thank you so much. Um, yeah. Call on me if I can ever be of service. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank awesome. you. We will take you up on that. <laughs> please, please. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. All of our guests. It's week 11. Can't believe it. Happy birthday, Ashton. If you want to sing, we'll sing. <laughs> but yeah, just super thankful for this. Um, it gets more and more fun every week. Um, but yeah, any feedback, anybody has questions for us, um, people you want on the show, anything like that, we we're trying to get that social up. So help us out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Never. Yep. Thank you. Have a great night. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women in Sports. This show is all about advancing the narrative for women in the sports industry. I'm one of the hosts, Aaron Sinnott. And I'm Ashton Pills. This is a Rising Coaches sponsored show that gives women in the sports industry the opportunity to tell their stories and talk about their experiences. Glad to have you listening along. Stay tuned. Women in Sports is brought to you by Rising Coaches. Rising Coaches is the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. We have over 1,200 members of coaches who, from the high school all the way up to the professional level. Uh, and there's three things that we focus on. Community, relationships, and development. There's no straight line in this business. There's only ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And when you're going through them, it is crucial that you have a support system and a community who has been through the fires themselves that you can lean on and help you through those tough times. Genuine relationships. We put the premium on genuine, uh, not just exchanging phone numbers and speaking one time a year at the Final Four, uh, but rather creating relationships that will last a lifetime and help you both personally and professionally. And finally, and most importantly, development. We are constantly providing resources to our members so that they can work on their craft and add tools to their toolbox. The premise is this. If you sign up and become a member for Rising Coaches for just $120 a year, the relationships and the network will take care of themselves organically so that you can focus on working on your craft and better serving the people that you come in contact every single day as a coach. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com and sign up for a membership today.